once I had a kid, he was he was he was pretty fired up about it. Um, so and we had a lot of fun just him interacting with my son and and you know just watching him and he, my dad was was really pretty pretty excited about the whole thing. Funying, which is welcome in the Cantonese dialect of Chinese. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast once again. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator of the podcast and the podcast host. While I speak today with RJB, I'm going to separate those. Those are not all letters. His first name is RJ, last name is B, just like the buzzing little B that we all love and that we should all love. Don't make me tell you all about how meaningful those insects are to our planet. This is a completely different bee. This is RJ B, who is here with me to talk about being a dad. RJ is one of two partners who have created the Helping Friendly podcast. It is a podcast for and about being fish fans. RJ, I met through Twitter. Once again, Twitter is bringing this all together. RJ is a father of three, and his two newest additions to his family are about six months old. He has a, a little boy, little girl twin that they are um, working their lives around, and that was why it took a little while for us to work our lives around getting him in and being a guest on the podcast, but I'm very happy that we finally figured that all out and worked so hard to get him on here. Uh, this is a great conversation between he and I about his dad, his relationship with his dad, and the other relationships that went along with that, um, being that his dad uh, divorced his mom originally and all of the relationships that come out of that. So we'll get into that in this episode. So without further conversation from me, let's get right to the episode with RJ. All right. Well, we are here today with the Daddy Unscripted podcast with a very special guest, RJB. And that's not initials, which we'll hear more <laughs> about. Um, but RJ, welcome. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I'm glad I get the superlative of very special. <laughs> yes, well, you know, I, I don't just throw that out all the time. We use <laughs> variants of adjectives, and that's the one that you landed on. Awesome. Um, which, by the turn of this podcast, everybody else will say that he was right. Uh-huh. He, is, <laughs> he was a very special guest. <laughs> so do you want to, I know that uh, you have the... Um, Helping Friendly Podcast, which everybody can find on iTunes and yeah. everything else, I assume. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Twitter for that is right there at HF Pod. yes? Yes, it is. That's right. And do you want to throw anything out there other than that for people to find you at? Um, no, that's good. HF Pod on Twitter. Um, and, and my personal Twitter is linked there, too. Um, okay. And just, just a quick background, just HF Pod is a... A fish podcast, um, and we've been doing it for about four years. So it's um, if you like fish, you'll like it. If you don't like fish, you might not like it. That's that's sort of what I tell people. And this is most people who listen to my podcast, I assume, would get this. But just to clarify for 
those of you out there, this is Fish, the, the musical band, not Seafood. Yeah, that's true. For those people who do know me well enough, they would understand that because I don't eat seafood at all. So I would probably <laughs> never have a seafood enthusiast on my show. It would be like, you know, the downfall of my podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair enough. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on. We've been kind of talking about doing this for quite a while. And you are in a different time zone and have a very full schedule, not only personally, but professionally. So thanks for carving out some time. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. This is it's um I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. And it's always I I have only been on the other side one time, but it's kind of cool being on the other side of the podcast. I mean, you're still on this side of a microphone, but on the receiving end, I don't yeah, even yeah, know yeah. how to say that properly. Yeah, I know. I'm already like it feels like I should say something, but I'm I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna I'm not going to. But yeah. yeah, it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. It's the opposite of you are the non-lead in this dance. Exactly. So now I'm looking forward to following <laughs> your lead. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll kind of dive right into the whole family side of things for you. Just to get this out there at the forefront, you are the father of twins, yes? Yeah, twins, um, six-month-old boy, six-month-old girl, and then we have a almost, almost four-year-old boy as well. Okay, so... Three kids at home. You guys are outmanned. Oh yeah, yeah, by a lot. Having all three of them at once is um, is something you can only do in incredibly like small doses. It's 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 difficult. And did you, when you were thinking before you had twins, were you thinking of stopping at two, or were you planning on having more than two? I think we were thinking about stopping at two, but our um, we we sort of made some decisions that that put us into the the realm of, of possibility for twins. So, yeah. you know, we, um, we took a gamble and you won. I think so. I think that's how, that's how I'm going to spin it for sure. <laughs> Just in case like years from now, your kids are listening to this. Yeah, exactly. One big. Yeah. Dad said that when he gambled, he crapped out with us. <laughs> right, so right, right. that's good. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll leave it at that. You were a big winner with this. Yeah. One. I actually, I have twins in my heritage and we had that, fear. I don't want to say that too heavily, but we have the fear of that because my mom is a twin and my dad was a twin. And Wait, really? Both of your parents? Yeah. Yep. And wow. there, my mom's twin married my dad's twin as well. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, That's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And it's supposed to skip generations. So, and they didn't, neither of them had twins. So we thought like my brother and I thought, Oh my gosh, like we may, it, it's supposed to be a lot more heavily dominant in the female um, side than the male side, but we were thinking we could actually end up having twins. So, but wow. did not happen. That is wild. So yeah. that doesn't happen very often where twins marry the other twin, right? Or is that like a thing? I'm sure like there is that small grouping of that because it's kind of like that weird thing. Hey, we all look like each other and you're, this is fun. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure like if you looked in the double mint, like audition tapes, you would find that maybe some of them ended up <laughs> getting married or something. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's a good point. It's a good place to but twins. It was, it was interesting too, because my parents couldn't have kids. And so my parents adopted five kids. And then when they were 
uh, already 40 plus out of the blue, they had my brother and then they had me and my mom's twin was the exact same way. They couldn't have kids either, I should say. And they adopted two and then they ended up divorcing. So who knows, but we could have had like a full born Elvis Presley kiss and cousins movie yeah. with like cousins that looked exactly like us potentially, <laughs> but they blew it. Wow. That's amazing. That is, yeah. that is cool. So you, wait, so do you have to, do you have, are there seven of you then? There's eight of us, eight, eight kids. Uh, I'm sorry that you're trying to do that math. My, after I was born, they adopted another child uh, when I was like, I think I was maybe five or six okay. and they adopted a 10 year old. So, okay. wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And eight was enough. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that TV show was right on. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like it. I can't imagine. I can't imagine either. I really like have no idea how my mom has any brain left at all. Yeah. It's wild. So enough about me. Uh, let's go uh, back into your parenthood and your dad and as far back as it makes sense to go. And um, I will let you take over and listen to your campfire story. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was having fun interviewing you, though. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. I gave you a, I gave you one turn before yeah. I took the lead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Ohio, um, Toledo, which is near you know, the border with Michigan, it's, it's uh, in some ways it's part of sort of the greater Detroit area in terms of industry, you know, manufacturing and uh, the auto industry and all that. And my grandfather, my dad's dad was, I think the first of his family to be born in the U S I'm pretty sure that his parents emigrated from Poland, like right around the start of world war one. Cause I, I think either right before or, or even maybe during, cause I know he was born in 1918 in Ohio and he was the first first of his family born here. So, you know, obviously I didn't know his parents and I don't think my dad even knew his parents. There's actually like very little documentation because I don't know if this was common among immigrants. I think it probably goes both ways, but my grandfather was always like very, very much pushing away from his heritage. So there was not a lot of family history or conversations about distant relatives. Like my, my wife's family, her dad is, um, comes from a German family and he knows like you know, six generations back of, of mm. people in his family. And and so I don't, I don't really know anything beyond that because I think my grandfather was just trying to, trying to assimilate, you know, mm-hmm. and actually you asked my, about my name earlier. So the, the name B E E, um, that was the name I was born with. My, my dad was actually born with a different name and they changed their last name in 1955. So my dad was five years old and, um, it was a really long Polish name with not very many vowels. Mm. It was pronounced Chokowski. And I think maybe it must have been 12 or 13 years ago now. I was out to dinner with um, my now wife, then girlfriend. And we had a Polish waitress. And she came up to us at the at the restaurant and um, started taking our order or whatever. And she asked me if I was Polish. And I said, yeah. And she said, you look Polish. And then she asked what my name was. And I told her B. And then I said what it was, you know, told her that whole story I just told you. And she was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense because that actually means beekeeper in Polish. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And so huh. I called my dad like right after that or a little maybe a little later in the night. And he like pretended that he had known that all along. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I know. That. I knew that. <laughs> I was like, why, why would you never tell me if you actually knew yeah. that? So I feel like that's really the only thing I know about 
about that sort of heritage, you know, going back beyond my beyond my grandfather. I think my father-in-law once told me, we were talking about it once, and he said something like, if you have, you know, if you're really studying your genealogy, you have too much time on your hands, which I think is probably <laughs> is probably fair. But I think eventually I'd like to look into it in a little more detail, you know, just to know sort of where where we all come from. Yeah. Well, that's why they have the online companies that do it for you. Yeah, no, I should probably just do that. So your dad was born in 1950. Yeah, yeah, in Toledo. Um, spent his whole life there. He was he had a brother um, who was a few years older, and I guess he was 28 when I was born. And he owned a business, um, like a building supply company. They sold drywall and it's the kind of stuff you need for the interior sort of building of a home. And um, he started the business with a couple a couple guys he knew, you know, with an investment that he borrowed from his dad and paid back with interest, you know, that whole like American, American business story, um, which I think is sort of cliche, but, but in this case was actually happened. Um, and then, so he, he must've done that at like age 25 and then I was born and, um, he and my mom got divorced like when I was two, two and a half. Mm. And he, that it was interesting because he really, it was very uncommon at the time. Um, he, got full custody of me when they when they went through the divorce my mom was much younger she was 20 when i was born so she was eight years younger than he was but Mm -hmm. um sort of unheard of at the time for the dad to even try and let alone you know get custody so in in a lot of ways i always look back on that and really appreciate that he did that especially now that i have kids like you know, I was two and a half, so it's not like he was, he didn't know it was coming. I was already full into toddler mode. Right. Yeah. And that's like, it's pretty, still pretty admirable to me that, that he, he did that just because I think he and, and his parents and, you know, others thought that it would be a better, better life for me. Mm-hmm. And so that was still in Toledo or? Yeah, yeah still in Toledo. Okay. And he, he lived pretty close to his parents. So, so my grandmother and, and, grandfather to a lesser extent, you know, helped take care of me. Mm-hmm. So my childhood, I remember being, you know, spending a lot of time at their house because he lived nearby and he was running a business, you know? So that's, it's kind of like family network that I feel like a lot of people, my peers, people our age don't really have, you know, because people just move a lot more. Right. Yeah. And especially I would say in the States, I mean, the, in other countries and cultures like the, you know, the grandparents and multi-generations are living in one home and that whole family idea is very different from what is the norm here in the U.S. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And this is all, you know, very, very American Midwest, you know, it's it's interesting because I feel like in a lot of ways that's like the, that's what people think of when they think of middle America, you know, is like growing up in the suburbs in Ohio, which I, which I did. So I don't know. That's it's interesting, but it actually made me want to do the opposite. I know a lot of people, you know, don't either don't want to leave where they're from or want to go right back to where they're from. But I've always I always from a young age just like wanted to leave. And I'm not sure why it wasn't because of any like sadness or or displeasure. I just like always wanted to get out and and see what else was out there. Mm -hmm. Were you an only child? Yeah. So my 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 dad um, remarried when I was Actually, I think I was three and a half or four. So it was pretty shortly thereafter. And I think his main criteria were was just to have a, a, another person, a, a mom, you know, for me to have around. I still saw my mom still lived in the area. So I saw her the every other weekend thing. But my my um, dad remarried and um, she my stepmom had two kids who were seven and 10 years older than I was. So 
Um, I have a stepbrother and stepsister who I've, if I didn't know like the backstory, I probably would have never, no idea, you know, that they weren't my actual brother and sister. Cause as far as I can remember, that was just the three, all three of us. Yeah. You were just kind of raised into that home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was good. I mean, they were a lot older and in a lot of ways, my childhood, I think was a little bit more sort of focused on my friends and a little more independent, I think, than it would have been if I was my dad's only child. Mm-hmm. Cause I think he was, you know, he was early thirties when my brother was, when my stepbrother was 10 to 15 or, you know, so he, I think he's actually, my brother still says um, now that he feels bad because he kind of took all the good years from me in terms of my dad playing baseball with him and going to his sports games and stuff. And when I was mm-hmm. in my teenage years, they were just, my dad and stepmom were a little bit older. Um, but it's kind of interesting because I think he, he did a great job obviously of, of being a role model and parent for them. Um, and I had a, you know, stable two parent household. So it, it actually worked out pretty well. And I think that was part of his calculation. You know, I just can't imagine going through that at, with a, with a toddler and a business and trying to, trying to figure that all out. Yeah. Seriously. Even trying to like create a, that kind of a relationship with somebody else while you have all of that going on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I think a lot of it was convenient, not convenience, but you know, looking for something specific and yeah. So that actually worked out pretty well. Did everybody kind of leave that Toledo area, your stepbrother and your stepsister and yeah, no, I'm the only one. Yeah. Um, I have cousins and, um, on my stepmom's side who, who have left and her sister and husband, their whole family sort of left, but yeah, um, I'm the only one from my family who, who left. So everyone's still there. It's kind of crazy, but there's so many instances of me wanting to explore the world. I also had a stepdad who my mom was I think they they never got married, but they were together from the time I was, I don't know, eight or nine until the time I was 25 or 30. Um, so they were, they were together a long time and he worked for travel agencies. Those were things that helped people, um, figure out how to get places before the internet. You know, it's crazy <laughs> yeah, that there were things about travel agencies. <laughs> that's so funny that you actually had to describe that, but yeah. it does make sense. <laughs> Like it's, it's wild. It's just like how there used to be on our fish podcast. We talk about how there used to be tapes that you put oh, into gosh. a tape player, you know, um, oh, we will get into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he had always traveled for work and he would, I remember like pouring over maps of London or Japan or whatever. And he would just, he just taught me a lot about geography and about the world and showed me pictures from all his different travels. So that was actually a pretty big influence on, on my life. And I still keep in touch with him. He lives in California now, but mm. So I sort of had these different perspectives. It's part of the advantage, I think, of growing up with from with divorced parents. If it works out well, you still you sort of have two different perspectives you get to draw from, you know? Yeah. So you did keep a relationship, obviously, with your mom after that. Do you recall? I mean, m- maybe you've been told, but was that pretty pretty much ongoing from the time of their divorce or did she kind of come back into your life later on? Yeah, she, I think a little bit of both. Like, I, So my dad definitely still had some lingering resentment for sure of her. And mm-hmm. I think just because she was, I, you know, I, I kind of know the circumstances of why they ended up getting separated. And I, from actually from her admission to it was her fault. So mm-hmm. I think he sort of had... You know, he he kind of got screwed by a lot, by screwed over by a lot of women <laughs> several mm-hmm. times. He had, he actually had a wife before he married my mom, um, 
who I think they she left him after a couple of years. So he just like he's a good dude who just had had bad luck with women. But anyway, she she kind of disappeared for a while and moved to Florida. And, you know, she was in her early 20s. So she was out doing stuff. And then I'd say when I was about like seven or eight, I started more frequently going to visit her every other weekend. And I pretty much did that until I was you know, able to drive. Um, I still would go over there when I was 16 and stay sometimes, but I would do more of the like stop by and then leave at 10 and go drive around with my friends and do dumb shit or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this was in, this was also in Ohio. She was living there. Yeah. Toledo. Yeah. Right across town. It's like, you know, everything's 15 minutes away from everything else. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then when the two of them split, is that when your, uh, stepdad, moved out to California. Yeah. Yeah. They, they actually, they split up in 2008, I guess it was a long, it's a long Mm -hmm. time ago now. Um, yeah. And then he moved to California to kind of start, start fresh and he's, he's doing well, but we, I still, I see him once in a while when I go out there for work. Um, he's in Sacramento. So I've made the trip up there from San Francisco a couple of times just to hang out and yeah, he'll always be important to me. That's great that that relationship kind of, I mean, completely, like as far stretching as that could be from your mom to him, to him moving across the country basically and being a relationship that in many times and places could just be kind of discarded. Yeah. I guess in, and in some case, I mean, in some cases I'm sure it wouldn't mean as much, but that's cool that you guys have stayed close. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think in both with my stepdad and my dad, like I had less of a relationship with my mom and my stepmom. I mean, they were both Mm -hmm. great and I think did things for me, but I never had that. Like the, I don't know if there's, there might be theories about this or whatever, but you know, I think most of the time a kid's, you know, their, their primary adult relationship is with their mom. Right. Mm -hmm. That's probably true in most of the world maybe maybe less true here because dads i think are more involved now than than maybe they used to be but my my primary relationship was with my dad and he's he's the parent that i was always close to and i never really had like that strong mother you know figure mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that i think so many people do and it's 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 like so natural to most people because because the moms are you know always there right and especially i mean there is really something to that idea of mama's boy mm-hmm. and daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, even though those terms are so cliche, like you see it time and time again, that true. that's the way a lot of relationships are. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think I feel kind of similar in that way. Like I had and still have a relationship with my mom, but I think the relationship that I had with my dad and the bond that I had with him was entirely different. And I think part of that is relating Mm-hmm. You know, I, I couldn't relate with my mom in the same way and vice versa, as well as, you know, I think probably she was at many time at her wits end with all eight kids yeah. and doing all yeah. the things she had to do. And my dad was doing work and obviously still being very busy and productive, but then he got to come home and kind of relate to us in a much different way than my mom. Yeah. It's kind of an advantage of being the parent who works all day. Yeah. You get to come home and be the hero, you know. Um, oh, totally. <laughs> which I which I am right now, but um, I don't think I'll be forever. But we we actually we well I can talk about this later. I was just going to say we're, we're we're trying to figure it all out right now. But 
Yeah, one interesting thing about the, I was just reflecting on the questions because you had sent them over, you know, a couple things to think about beforehand. And I feel like there's this like mythology of childhood that a lot of people have or a lot of people live through that, that I didn't really live through. Like I was, I was much more, it's kind of always with, with friends, um, doing things with, with friends and classmates. And I didn't do a lot with my dad. You know, there's like the image of like the dad and the son at the baseball game or the dad and the Mm -hmm. son playing catch in the yard. And we, we did some of that, but it's not, I had a really, really close relationship with my dad, but without those, without sort of the fun parts in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But because he was the main disciplinarian and the main caretaker and sort of, you know, we it was just an interesting, I think, different relationship than a lot of kids um, have with their dads for better for better and worse, you know. Yeah. But maybe that's just more stereotypes. I'm not sure. Well, there are so many mm-hmm. to pick from. And, and it's true. I mean, what you just kind of touched on, like I've been talking about that fairly recently and over the past year or so many, many times with people of that line of being the friend and being the parent Mm -hmm. and uh, your dad probably had that kind of struggle with within him Mm -hmm. of, you know, I am the solid one-on-one person with my son. That Mm -hmm. is, even though I have remarried and brought this other woman in and she has her children that are in the relationship and whatever, like you are his direct line to everything. Yep. And so having to walk that line of disciplining you and raising you right, as well as like hanging out and whatever with you, I'm sure was, it's that, it's always that tightrope walk. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I didn't, I hadn't thought about that in a while, actually, just the, the difference between the friend and, and parent thing, but that's definitely, that definitely played into it. And then as, as I got older, I mean, we, we became closer, I think as I got older, which is which is great. Yeah. I, I look forward to that time when my kids are older, when they will be able to hopefully reflect on these times in a good way and in a different way and be able to have that more, okay, I've given you all of this structure and I've given you kind of the building blocks to becoming a good and valuable adult and person in society and now let's just sit and talk yeah you know as opposed to like i i need to always be kind of tweaking you out a little bit to make sure that i'm directing you on the right path yeah yeah true yeah it's interesting to think about i can't even really imagine that with 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 my kids but i think you're right that we'll be facing the same (laughs) the same balancing act eventually yeah well you've and you've got a good age balance between yours where it's not going to be too much of a splash of cold water on your face when your twins are kind of getting at that age, you know, they're not going to be that much further behind your son. So yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. They're, and and I'm looking forward to that already. Just the, just them all, you know, playing together and distracting each other and (laughs) being able to sit and do something else on your own. Exactly. Exactly. There's that, I mean, there is that time, like, and and for us, you know, I have an eight-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son, mm-hmm. and they do not sleep in at all during the summer, during holidays, like whatever. They just don't mm-hmm. get it. And the <laughs> ability to be able to tell them, like, just you can go downstairs and play or read or do something. Let us sleep in a little bit 
um, we looked forward to so much, but they still like, I, and, and I, I do have to take this as a good thing and prepare for hopefully sleeping in more later, but they still, my son like really wants me to go down and play with them and hang out with them. And so there is that small part of me that is like, Oh, isn't that sweet? And the other 98% of me, that's like, I really just want to be asleep right now. <laughs> right. Well, can I ask just how early is, is early? Um, they are usually up sometime between six and seven. Okay. So even during the summer, like they are up six, six fifteen, mm-hmm. six thirty, and I would love to get an eight o'clock wake up once yeah. in a while from them. That would be nice. <laughs> eight o'clock to so, me is like to me eight o'clock is is just a different different world. Yeah. Well, you're still in the so your twins are. How are you doing that? God, they're how are you doing it. <laughs> we, we're, we're managing. It's, it's interesting. We're, um, we sometimes will take our son over to my wife's parents' house who live in, in the DC area and drop him off oh. and, you know, that sort of thing. So, but it's sleeping wise, it's not great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so what is your, so give me a little snippet of what, what you guys, how do you do it at the end of the night? Um, so we, the twins actually are going to bed at, at seven. So they go straight to bed. They fall asleep. They right now, one, one of them usually wakes up around four. My wife goes up and feeds one of them or, or wakes both them up. And then they wake up around six and my son wakes up between five thirty and six. And we're trying to get him to just like six fifteen is what we're trying to do. We have a whole system. We like we hired one of those sleep consultants. We like Oh man. Yeah, we we there was a time period where he was waking up at like four thirty, four forty five. And it was just like you know, it might have been delayed reaction to the twins being born. It wasn't like he lashed out at them or hits them with toys or whatever, but I think maybe the there's been some side effects and um we just we couldn't we couldn't deal anymore with being up at four, four thirty, five and six, you know. Yeah, that's a little much right at that time where you're going to have to kick it into gear. It's different when it's like 12, 1, and 2. That's a totally different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when it's 4, 5, and 6, you're like done. Yeah, and one one just, you know, a little insight that um, the, the sleep consultant told us is that there's this um, like non-REM sleep that happens between, usually for most people, between 4 and 6. And if you don't get that full cycle, you're that's what kind of makes you, you know, less rested in the morning. And I, I didn't, hadn't really thought about that before, but it does sometimes happen that your deepest sleep is like those couple hours before you wake up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what she's, she kind of told us was to try and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'd, we had to buy a specific light and, you know, all kinds of shit, which we can, we oh, can, <laughs> it's a whole different thing, but um, yeah, so we're, you know, we're surviving. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, it's been, a while since we've done the newborn thing, obviously, but I was kind of always the putting them, but with both of them, putting them down person, which mm-hmm. I was completely okay with and just said, you know, you go and have your time. Let me deal with them and put them to bed. And my daughter was fantastic. She was a great sleeper and still is, and just kind of knocks out and she's done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my son is a completely different story. He, you know, you need to lay down with him and um, sometimes he'll come in. Like I think last night he came in at 
11.30 and then at 1.30. Oh, man. And then I think it was like 5. Usually any time between 4 and 6 is when we'll just pull him into our bed and we just kind of give up and say, okay, he's going to be in our bed for the rest of this time. And sometimes he sleeps and sometimes he just, he usually like scratches my thumbnail with Mm -hmm. his finger and Mm -hmm. he'll do that for an hour if you let him. So (laughs) it's just, uh, yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's also pretty, um, that's also like traumatic. That can be traumatic for sleep. Yeah. I did not. Well, I had a brief affair with coffee when I was in high school, very brief. (laughs) <laughs> and including that international, how whatever that international coffee was, those flavored coffees and like the oh, rectangle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like not even coffee. No, like no, not really. Coffee beans all over, just like rolled over in their grave when I called that an actual coffee. Yeah, yeah definitely. But um, the day we brought my daughter home from the hospital, I started drinking coffee and it's been kind of my savior ever since. So super important. Yeah, those parents who aren't. Um, indulging in coffee or kooky to me. <laughs> so important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. Definitely dependent on it at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a legal, it's a legal drug still. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you let's, we'll take it way back. So you are then going to high school and college in Ohio too, or no? Yep. Yep. I went to, I went to public high school in, in Toledo and then, um, Went to Ohio State for undergrad and in Columbus, and and then I went to um, grad school in Chicago f- for international affairs. Got a master's, and my dad, I remember, it was like in his mind, it was like it didn't really matter what you did; you were just supposed to go to college, and that's all you needed to do. So he was mm-hmm. very, he was very confused about why I wanted to go to grad school, and I tried to. You inter- already did it, son. <laughs> exactly. I tried to explain like the intellectual aspect that I was just, you know, interested in learning more and and being challenged in a way that I wasn't in undergrad and that sort of thing. But he was like, you already got a degree, you know, but um, (laughs) I I did that anyway. And then, you know, that was one of many times that I I would go back to to Ohio on winter break or whatever. And, you know, people I'd see family members or other people who are like, oh, so you're going to move back here after after you finish school? I'm like, no, I'm not coming back. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not coming back. And I kept kept true to that so yeah so i i left ohio you know after undergrad and i haven't haven't moved back since but um obviously visiting and stuff but i just was ready to kind of get out there and and see the world so i think 2002 i finished grad school and went to came to dc to try and work you know on the hill or, or work in politics i was a political science major and interested in in the helping change the world and all that Mm mm-hmm immediately got sent to Maine to work on a campaign, a Senate race in Maine, which is um, where I met one of my now best friends who went to college with my wife. So that's how I, it was crazy because there was like a split sort of second decision. I was at this organization called 21st Century Democrats. They like send people around or not anymore. I don't think actually, I'm not sure if they're still around, but they, they sent people to campaigns to go knock on doors and stuff. And Mm. they asked me, I like sat down and they're like, sure, you seem fine. I'm sure you'll be fine on a campaign. Like, do you want to go to South Dakota or Maine? And Maine was like in the other direction that I hadn't been before really. And so I was like, I'll just go to Maine. So I drove up that day. And if I hadn't chosen Maine, if I had chosen to go back to South Dakota, I certainly wouldn't be married to my wife. I wouldn't, you know, it's just, there's, there's no, no telling how 
much different my life would be. And that's just another interesting thing about how life works, that there's these times when you make decisions and changes your whole life. Yeah. A very large road difference there, obviously. Yeah. And at the time it was just like, well, it was one center race here or one here, you know? Right. You didn't care either way. Not really. It was, it was just, I just wanted to work on a campaign, but anyway, so that was, um, that's how I sort of got into, got into politics, but also got into my current relationship. That was 13 years ago. So you were, how long were you in Maine for then? I was there from June until November of 2002. Actually, no, that was 15, almost 15 years ago. Oh, okay. Crazy. So <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. And we, my, my candidate lost the election. I came back to DC in December, moved, moved in to a house with my friend who I met, started working. Actually, I started my the first job I had in DC after working on that campaign. I was working for the Marijuana Policy Project, which is uh, mm. an advocacy organization, obviously, that works on legalization and at the time it was like it was all medical advocacy medical marijuana advocacy and very much you know way ahead of the curve in terms of the political scene of course it was during the bush years which there was not a, not a lot of fans of that in in the bush yeah the, the bush team and it was it was just interesting to learn about state state policy policy and state politics so that's um sort of I spent what I spent a lot of time doing there then I went back on another campaign in 2004 in Florida met some great friends who I'm still friends with here and then came back here. And then um, my wife and I moved to California to, she went to law school um, in Berkeley. So we lived in the Bay area for three years, mm. which was really, really just amazing. Yeah. It's just a beautiful place to live. So much to do, so much to see. So that was cool. And then we moved to Boston after she finished law school. She worked for a law firm and I met my current boss. Um, he was, running his firm there. I actually had met him on a previous campaign, but got back in touch with him and started working with him. And then we all moved back to DC about seven years ago. So I kind of went, went around and lived in a few, few different places. And now we're, we've been here for, or back here in DC for seven years or so. Yeah, that's so cool. So the family that is all staying put in Toledo all during this time are, are you kind of looked at by them as the wow, look at what he's doing. He's such an adventurer. Or is it more of, what are you doing? Why, why aren't <laughs> you moving back here? And look at all this. You, you could be just living here and being happy. Yeah, definitely both. Um, definitely yeah. both. I mean, my dad always thought that I was like really smart and, and could do whatever I wanted and that sort of thing, which is, which is great. And I think I took that to heart. And, you know, I think there was, because I've been only child biologically, I'm sort of like, I was just sort of looked at a little bit differently than my brother and sister who were more just traditional kind of, you know, they were students, they weren't super academic, they were good at, at school and then good at the things they were good at, but they weren't, they weren't intellectually driven like I was, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think my parents kind of expected it. And then I think they definitely were, I think by the time I moved to California, my dad was pretty cool with it, especially because he knew Rachel, my wife, and was really liked her and was like, yeah, you should, you should do that. Mm -hmm. Although I was unemployed at the time, which he wasn't, wasn't psyched about. Turns out parents do not like it when you're unemployed. Yeah. That's weird. No, no, I, I, I'll probably be super cool with it with my kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't have a job. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Until they're moving back in. I think, I think as if any child is doing okay and or child, you were an adult at the time, but if anybody's child is unemployed and still doing well and not like 
living off the streets, then I think most parents should be a little okay with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially if they have promise like you did. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing until like probably three years ago, but slowly figured it out. And it's funny because I'll do informational interviews with people sometimes and they're like, you know, I want to do this and then I'm going to do this for a few years and I'm going to do that. And like, what do you think about that? And like, most of my advice is like, don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stick too closely to a plan, like do something Mm -hmm. that's interesting and fun for a few years and see where it takes you. Because I think there are disadvantages to like planning out your life year by year for 20 years, you know? Yeah. Um, Especially when you're in your twenties and you can really take risks and, and go do things you, you otherwise won't be able to do. And I think it'd be really interesting to follow up with those people 20 years down the road and say, so how did that go for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. This was your plan 20 years ago. How, what did you do that stuck to that? And how happy were you if you forced yourself into that line just to stick with your plan? It'd be interesting to, to, to see. I don't know. I have my hunches, but uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe it, it worked out great for a lot of those people. I'm sure, I'm sure it does. We just, I took a very like unplanned kind of path, you know? Which usually I think more people, I don't know, I'm making some generalizations here, but I think that that route usually leads to a more full and happy life. Like you feel like you experience things. And I guess I would have to sit and talk with your family members that haven't left or people that, that haven't left. But I always wonder about that. Like, you know, for the people who are just plenty happy being in their hometown for all of their lives, like, do you feel like you never really wanted to get out or was it that you couldn't put it together on how to get out? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. I know a lot of my family members didn't just don't think of, don't think of it as an option either by choice or just by, you know, circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, good question. So yeah. So I've had a little bit of, you know, moving around, but we're, I think we're pretty, pretty settled for the time being at least. When you're going back to DC and then you're there for a few years before, or how long were you there settled where you are now before you had your oldest son? Um, three years. So we're back okay. here for three years. Yeah. Okay. And because your dad is in Ohio at that time, mm-hmm. how, how much interaction are you being able to have with the three generations? Yeah, we, um, we would go back and visit, you know, Thanksgiving sort of, or Christmas, one of the, t- one of the two of those. And then I would go back during the summer. My dad and sister made it a, a, a habit of driving here from Ohio every three to four months. So we actually, we saw them every few months and that was my, my dad was, you know, obviously he loved his, all three of us, but because I was his only, only biological child, I think once, once I had a kid, he was, he was, he was pretty fired up about it. Mm -hmm. So, and we had a lot of fun, just him interacting with my son and, and, you know, just watching him and my dad was really pretty excited about the whole thing. And did you have any like actual, kind of sit down serious conversations of, well, son, this is what you should expect and any of that from him? Or was he kind of just expecting you to get that from other places or? Yeah, I think he just kind of assumed I'd figure it out. You know, we didn't have a lot of deep conversations about that. We, we talked a lot about other stuff, his, his past and you know, that's that kind of stuff, but he wasn't big on like, 
hear the he wasn't a big on advice really at all um mm-hmm. which i think as i got older i appreciated that he was just there when i would call him with questions you know about my mm-hmm. taxes or mortgages or like usually it's like functional things that were complicated you know mm-hmm. but he wasn't he was not big on like here are the things you need to do as a dad he was like it'll be hard you'll figure it out you're smart you guys are good people you know yeah they're more for support and for you to be able to tap into him as much as you needed to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I always wonder how I will be with that. Like as I am older, because I kind of missed that link. And so I'm not going to really have anything to base that on myself through my own experience. And I always have kind of every once in a while, I'll, wonder how much I'm going to try to impress myself upon either my son or daughter when they're older. And I guess, yeah, I'll just wait and see. Yeah. I've had the same, same thoughts. And, you know, I think we spend at this point, like at this point being when they're young, you spend your entire yeah. life telling them what they should and shouldn't do. And it's got to be hard to break out of that. I mean, I think maybe once they are away from, for college and if they don't you know if they're on their own for 15 years or something maybe that's maybe that becomes easier but it's definitely I feel like it's probably hard to break out of that state of mind and and I know that there's there's a lot of parents think of their kids as kids <laughs> even if, even when they're grown adults you know because it's just hard yeah. to get out of that mindset well and I think probably and obviously this is very presumptuous but probably your dad saw how independent you were and how you were not only, you know, moving on in your life, but moving about and doing so successfully so that he was probably able to kind of sit back and enjoy and relish in that fact and potentially even have a good amount of pride in what you were doing and how well you were doing that he didn't have to worry about all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think he, um, I don't think he felt like he needed to worry about it for sure, which, which is good. So yeah, so we had, you know, we had a few, I guess not a few, we had like one and a half or so good years of, of kind of spending a lot of time together before he, before he passed away in 2014. So, I mean, I don't, I can do whatever you want with this. I can edit this and tweak this out and you can tell me whatever you want, but do you mind even giving like, yeah. I know you said it was abrupt. Yeah. Did he have an accident or no? Yeah, no, he, so he, he had a heart attack out at his, mm-hmm. um, he was, he remained self-employed like through, through his whole life actually. Um, and he was at his little office where he would, um, he owned a vending machine business. That was what mm-hmm. he was doing. Um, all cash, you know, a lot of advantages. That's why he liked that business. Cause he could just like, he, it was, it was pretty comfortable and, and not a lot of work and he just, you know, he could do his own thing. And yeah, so he had a heart attack, like sitting at, sitting at his desk one day, like probably two in the afternoon or something when he was finishing up work. Um, and yeah, he didn't, I remember cause I went to a show at the nine thirty club, um, in DC that, that night. Um, and my sister was texting me and saying like, he didn't come home. We thought that my dad liked to, he liked to hang out. He liked to drink. He liked to you know, once in a while go up to the casinos in Detroit with his friends. So mm-hmm. we kind of thought actually for most of that evening, like he's just, he's out with his friends. Like he just didn't, you know, 
didn't bother telling us for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then I went to bed at one o'clock in the morning. So I got home from a show and then my sister texted me at six the next morning. and was like, yeah, he's still not back. And we were like, Oh shit. Um, oh, and my sister who, you know, the, she was really close with, with my dad, especially in the later years because my stepmom was, had some like health problems. And so it was my sister and my dad were kind of, you know, taking care of each other sort of thing. And so she actually went to his office and she's the one who found him there, which is just so crazy. And then we like, we, my wife and son and I got in the car that day and drove to Ohio and I was there for, you know, I think over a week just dealing with all that. Mm. So what was the kind of move ahead from that? Is everybody still in the same area and still living their own lives there in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's pretty much living the same. Um, my stepmom's like, you know, she lives, still lives in their house. She's not super independent, but, but she, she lives alone. And yeah, the immediate aftermath was like me sorting through, you know, files and files and documents and trying to find, you know, trying to find out what was going on financially Mm -hmm. and insurance and like just all this crazy stuff. Um, and so that was like that took up the majority of my time during that during that post sort of you know immediate um, situation so it was just crazy and then um we came back here and then you know everyone kind of started to get back to normal Mm -hmm. so yeah no big changes or or people moving or anything it was just sort of it was pretty it was yeah it was pretty sudden um i mean he, he you know he smoked he drank too much he was not like in great health but um but still definitely a pr- really big surprise and, and really just kind of a crazy thing to, to have happen so suddenly, you know. There's going to be a little break in the conversation. I was going to try to edit this in really easily and seamlessly, but there just wasn't a great spot to put it in that would make sense. So full transparency, RJ and I spoke for a little while after we recorded these episodes and this conversation that he had with his dad shortly before his dad passed away came to his mind as one of those, how did I not bring this up during the podcast kind of things? So we decided to come back, record that conversation story and put it in the episode as best we could. So in the place that makes the most sense for you guys listening, here is that little story that RJ told. This was like, I can't believe that I realized that I didn't actually mention this really important thing while we talked, but then I also... I, don't, I just don't want it to be awkward to throw in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I was amazed after our first conversation that I forgot to mention this um, about we were talking about my, my dad and, and your dad and the way that, you know, we both lost our dads early and too early, whatever. Um, and my dad passed away pretty suddenly in December of 2014. Um, I was on vacation with my wife's family at the time in, in the Bahamas and um, I was talking with uh, my wife's aunt, who's my wife's godmother, and this was, you know, maybe four days before my dad died, and we were just talking about family, and she had divorced her husband and raised her kids herself, and 
that was similar to what my dad did. He raised me, as I think I mentioned, and we were talking on a Sunday night, and you know, we were leaving the next day, and most of the family had gone, and it was just like a random Sunday night, you know, kind of interaction, and uh, we were talking about how important it is the work that parents do, blah blah blah, and I ended up just kind of out of the blue calling my dad from from the landline of of this you know little cottage that that my wife's family has and talked to my dad that night and I was probably you know I probably had too many beers or or just enough beers you know Calix or Sands which are the two kinds of beers you can get in the Bahamas there's nothing else and they both kind of taste like shit but we, you you drink them all day and you know at right. night because there's nothing else you can do. Most people drink rum or something else. I just I'm a beer person. So anyway, I called my dad and I I told him that like I was just talking to Rachel's aunt. We were talking about you know this how awesome of a job she she did with her kids and you know it's hard to do and and hard to find another a step parent or whatever and. And I just ended up telling him basically in like a 20 minute conversation how much I appreciated everything he had done for me and how much I loved him and all that. But but also that I didn't even realize what that all meant until I had kids. And now that I had had a son, I realized how important it was, like the role that he played and the decision that he made to like try to get custody of me. And it was it was, you know, and he his reaction was pretty typical. He's like, you don't have to say that, like very kind of brushing it off because that was kind of his style but um i basically said everything that i would have said to him if someone had said you have one more chance to talk to your dad like what would you say you know and wow and i didn't know that obviously that would be the last time i ever talked to him and then you know the following week i was it was so crazy and everything was you know as you know just like kind of confusing and and crazy but um i'm just so thankful that i had that time and you know, I tell people all the time, as we've discussed before, like you get a little, you know, jealous sometimes of people who get to go and go to baseball games with their parents or do things with their dads or whatever. And I don't know. I just always find myself now telling people, like, don't leave anything unsaid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not leaving things thinking that you're going to for sure have that opportunity at some point later or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, man, what like serendipity although it was very a sad sad confluence of events but just um i was really i felt really fortunate to have like had that conversation when i did and that's something that um is interesting i'm not a religious person but something compelled me to call him that day and i've probably done that before in the past many times but i don't know just sort of an interesting kind of addition to that story that's (laughs) i have definitely have some goosebumps because that's that's something that so many people never have that opportunity of course when somebody is taken from us suddenly but also all of the people who even if you're not in some kind of turmoil or some kind of tumultuous relationship or a broken relationship or whatever you're just kind of doing life casually like taking every day by day and not really not actively taking things for granted but just you know being a normal I I would say being a normal person and just doing your daily routine and whatever and telling people that you love them at the end of a phone call or at the end of a day or whatever but having that opportunity to be able to give him all that appreciation and give him your 
renewed, or I should say new perspective. I mean, that's, that's tremendous. So I think, you know, for me, it was kind of a different set of circumstances because uh, I, I knew what was kind of coming for however long. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. no matter how much you're kind of in a state of denial when it's a, a long, it wasn't that long, but an elongated process towards death that you, you kind of pick and choose your moments and you know I, I've, I know I've talked about this with some people who's whoever whatever loved one it is that is passing away of whatever it may be cancer or uh, kidney disease or whatever it may be that you know you hear that cliche no, no, I don't want I don't want to lighten it with the word cliche but the people who say when they finally really did pass away it wasn't as difficult for me because I felt like I'd already said my goodbye Mm -hmm. months previous or whatever so having that opportunity with somebody that close to an unexpected passing is (laughs) definitely a gift yeah 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 exactly which you would never know about until you know that would be if things had been different that would be just a conversation in a long line of conversations you know yeah yeah exactly so he was was he 64 or was he 63 he was 64 he had just just turned 64 um that's crazy yeah yeah and it was was, i mean i'm really glad that he got to you know meet my son and, and hang out with with us and that you know when we had kids and i'm really thankful for that i know you you lost your dad about far, far before that. Yeah, he was, my dad was just shy of 61. No, he was, he was 60 years old when he died. And, um, I mean, I was 17 years old and had just, just graduated high school. Okay. So it was, I mean, and it was a lot of that same thing that, uh, my older siblings had to go through and my dad, owned a business at that time. And mm. so everybody had to kind of, uh, figure out what to do about that. And, you know, do we sell it? And my mom was in the house that had housed 10 people at one time. And, uh, at that time, basically everybody had pretty much moved out and she asked me to move back home with her after my dad died to kind of help her out and whatnot. So, I mean, that was two of us in this, I mean, it wasn't a mansion, but it was a, it was a sizable house. And so, you know, there were some definite changes that affected everybody. And, uh, for my mom, it was a humongous change, not just in the loss of her husband, but she had been really, really ill leading up to that. And so it kind of forced her out of literally out of bed Mm. basically when he started getting really sick. And so it kind of left her in this weird kind of place of almost like it almost felt like an adrenaline kick in when he was sick. And then, you know, he's gone. She's not having to take care of him anymore, but now she's having to take care of herself and, you know, being an out of work person for 
I don't even know how many years. Um, so definite huge life changes. It's crazy too. The business of, I know they have a movie called the business of is it the business of birth or the business of birthing or the business of childbirth or something. And the, the business of dying, not to sound crass or anything, but all of that, all of those things that on the completely non-emotional, non-relating to the situation, things that need to take place by family members is intense. Yeah. And it's so, it can be so much that you have to go through and especially during that time, like it's, yeah, that's heavy. Yeah. It was a lot of, it was, it was actually probably a helpful distraction at the time, you know, cause I was mm-hmm. just had to figure a bunch of stuff out. I actually ended up sell, helping sell his business to a guy who was um, in the area who he had had contact with, but hadn't really like negotiated anything. So I was doing that in the meantime and like meeting with this guy at a bar to try and mm-hmm. come up with some reasonable price for the business and all that. And yeah, it's just a lot to, to sort out and I feel like it's probably two, 2014. So it's probably, been, yeah, it's been about two and a half years. And I feel like I'm just now like, I can think about it and talk about it without it, you know, being like overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. It's still like really sad. Like, and I go, you know, as you know, I'm sure. And I've, I have other friends who've lost their parents earlier. You go through phases, you know, there's like a, a certain time of the year. For me, it's college football season. Cause that's when my dad and I spent a lot of time talking and watching football together. It's, you know, different for everyone. Yeah. And what time of year was it that he passed away? It was December. It was like December 4th. So it was yeah. a few weeks before Christmas. Around the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. We, we came back to DC around the 12th of December or something and didn't, didn't end up, you know, traveling that Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the holidays obviously are always, always tough. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I have friends who I have, a, I have one friend who just, um, and went to spring training with his dad. Um, his dad retired and his dad had wanted to go to spring training forever and posted some pictures of him and his dad at spring training. And I was like, man, you're so lucky, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure you've probably experienced that for. Oh yeah. Years now. Yeah. It's, I mean, even with, for me, a lot of times too, with grandparents, because my parents were so old when they, <laughs> that sounds so mean because my parents were older <laughs> yeah. when they had me that, and their parents were, old, like my last grandparent, uh, passed away when I was younger than 10. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I lost all four of my grandparents fairly early. So when I, when I see people now that are in their twenties and thirties who lose their grandparents, I'm like, God, what a bummer. But that is amazing for you that you got to talk as an adult with your grandparents and it wasn't just like being a a little kid with them, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was something similar happened to me recently with a a coworker or someone who was like their grandparent, one of their grandparents passed away. I'm like, Oh man, that's, that sucks. But yeah, you're lucky you're, you had them up to this age, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, as you were talking about with your dad, like it's definitely, I was talking about this with one of my previous guests that it just, I mean, it's, it's grieving and the grief stages and the grief time span and whatever is so different for every individual and in relation to the person that they are grieving, but as well, like for those of us who were very connected with our dads, I mean, for me, it's been, um, 27 years now and it's still like 
I don't dream up. The biggest change is that I don't dream about him as much. I used to, I actually said to my wife just the other day, um, semi jokingly, I said, I don't wake you up crying anymore (laughs) because I used to, she would wake up because I would be shaking the bed, like sobbing, uh, waking up from a dream about my dad and it would just floor me and, you know, it wasn't necessarily dreams about him being sick or anything like that, but waking up from a dream of me, like hanging out and doing whatever with my dad, I would just wake up and just like be destroyed about it. And, um, that used to be a gosh, at least a couple times a month thing. And now it's once a year, if even Mm -hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. I have those once in a while, once in a while I'll wake up and realize that I was just like, yeah, we were just hanging out or, you know, talking mm-hmm. about something. Um, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh shit, it doesn't happen to me that often, but I, I have more of the like during, you know, it's mostly just when you have time to like actually reflect on life, which I don't have a lot of right now, which, so that's kind of an advantage in that sense, you know, there's just not, but if I'm, it's a Friday night and I'm having a beer and listening to music is like, you know, when I start kind of reflecting on stuff or thinking about a specific time or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough and it's amazing. It's been that long for you and still, I mean, obviously it'll, it'll always affect you. And I wonder if I'm a little more fortunate because I was able to spend more time with him as I got older and, and it was an mm-hmm. adult and had kids one kid, you know? Yeah. But definitely when my twins were born, I was like, oh man, he would like, he'd be going nuts right now, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I think, I think that carries on to like having for me, because I'm such a sentimental so-and-so when I had my, or when, when I stood by while my wife had our daughter, it like completely reopened everything, you know, just entirely reopened the wound because it was now I'm a dad. Now I'm in his position and now I'm starting to like every once in a while think, I wonder what my dad, you know, did he have to like stay up with me this late or, you know, did he yeah. have these things yeah. that he had to worry about, yeah. et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. The same, same things for sure. And, you know, I think in reality, I think that there were just, there was a lot more help, I guess, but for my dad, like, you know, his parents, mm-hmm. his parents were close by. And I think that we just, there was just a much like sort of tighter knit family around. So I, I've thought about the same thing. Like, was he doing all this? But I think he was doing most of it. But I think he also had some help, which is which is good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think for me, it makes me much more conscious about my relationships with my kids when I'm thinking about it. And, you know, there'll be the times where I'm like, I'm just going to sit down and do this or whatever my, while my kids are up and give them the brush off a few times when they're wanting me to play with them. And then, you know, I'll remember what, I mean, for me, the biggest word that always comes back to me is legacy. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I, when my kids are my age or 10 years ago or whatever, that whether I'm here still on earth or not, like I want them to not be walking around thinking like, wow, dad was just, watching baseball games all the time and didn't really, you know, I don't want to be one of those parents of kids that are like, Oh yeah, my dad was great. You know, when Mm -hmm. I could Mm -hmm. peel him away from this or whatever. So I think I, I I probably more than the average person, like 
pull that into my way of thinking as as a person my age of how I'm dealing with other people or dealing with my kids or whatever to try and build that in them as well as like show them an example for them to have when they're my age and when they're having kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So as a parent now that the, uh, what I don't don't even know what kind of animal that is, has uh, raised you up into the sky from the large rock and declared the circle of life happening in your world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Are you seeing any of those kind of things where you are doing things and thinking about your dad very clearly or remembering your youth and the way he was with you, with your kids yet? Or do you do a lot of that? Do you think you will, or you think you're not there yet? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I don't, I don't that often actually. Um, and again, that might just be because I'm just trying to like get through it. But, um, Mm -hmm. but there, there are times, you know, when I, when I think about it, especially just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sentimental too. And you get into the, you know, reading to my son before bed. And then I start thinking about like, Oh, is that what he did? Or, and it's funny cause I, I looked up to my dad a lot and he, I think is, um, inspired me to sort of be more independent and entrepreneurial, even though he probably wanted me to choose a more stable career path and all that. So mm-hmm. in that way, I really, um, respect him and probably follow. And I think a lot of his friends and our family think I'm a lot like him, but I didn't like, I don't like look up to him as a, like, Oh, I, I want to recreate these childhood experiences that my dad and I had. Cause we just, I don't, yeah. I don't have a lot of those. Like my wife has a lot of those with her dad and he, he was really good at shaping their childhoods, you know, which I think is cool. That's just not how I grew up. So it's not like I'm, you know, I don't miss him because I'm, I think I'm missing some really like wise advice. It's just more like, it's more wondering and curious about how things happened when I was that age, you know, and I, there mm-hmm. are things I'd like to ask him about just, just to, for comparison purposes more than anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a very real experience for a lot of us that, and I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you, I think. Well, not old enough to be your dad, but <laughs> old enough to like say things like that. I'm older than you. It's yeah. <laughs> fair. But I think that, I think that's a very common thing for, let's say dads mm-hmm. of an age 30 and older that, you know, some, some men are able to tap into that and some aren't. And the documentation, I talk about this a lot, the documentation that was done of our lives when we were young is nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. in comparison to what is going on now, you know, when our kids have questions or wonder about their youth and their childhood, everything is going to be right there for them. You know, yeah. we are yeah. the ultimate documentarians in this day and age. And so um that's really a big part of the reason that I created this podcast yeah. and want to have these conversations with other dads in hopes that, you know, there will be the some who will, who their kids will be able to listen to it and enjoy mm-hmm. it and their mm-hmm. family will be able to as well. And, but also to kind of have that ability to even go back further. And, you know, I always thought about my kids, like their knowledge that they're going to be able to get about, uh, my dad is going to be fairly minimal. And so 
you know, the doomer gloomer in me thinks like, what happens if I die young or whatever, and my kids aren't able to kind of have a lot of stuff to be able to tap into. So, yeah, well, that's probably, I'm sure that's a byproduct of your experience. (laughs) Yeah. I I think about that too now, you know, like what if I, what if I'm not around to see some of those like things that, that even my dad got to see. So I think that probably happens when we're, when we go through those experiences, you know? So uh, make sure you guys are all taking care of yourselves. Yep. (laughs) I always say that to my friends and my wife says that to me too. She's like, you need to make sure you're eating right. Mm -hmm. Like do it for your kids. If you, if you're not going to do it for yourself, like do it for your kids. And I mean, there are things that we can do to try and keep ourselves healthy but there are other things that you just never know what's going to happen yeah totally yeah that's one thing i'm pretty good at i exercise a lot i eat well and i'm just because i feel better when i do those things so i'm I'm pretty good in that regard but yeah you know there's some things that you like you just have no idea you know yeah all right well i think we have covered this part of it very well cool Neither one of us cried. No, I'm pretty proud of myself, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I I came extremely close in one of my recent episodes and I I felt it brimming up in this one. So, um, you know, big, big pats on the back. (laughs) Now, there's anything wrong with that? No, uh, I like I said, I just told stories about me waking up crying. So, (laughs) but again, uh, thank you for coming on and being part of this. Absolutely. Give everybody one more rundown. Of course, we're going to go into another section here, but at the end of this episode, uh, you guys can find RJ's podcast at HF pod on Twitter, the helping friendly podcast. Is it on iTunes as HF podcast or helping friendly? Yeah, podcast? It's, just, it's, it's helping friendly podcast on iTunes and the website's hfpod.com. And, um, I think the first, when I first started the Twitter account or, or my partner, Brad did, I think we just put HF pod and so that's just what people call it now on people who listen Mm -hmm. to it. But then if you tell someone that you have a podcast called HF pod, they're like, what the hell does that mean? So it's, um, yeah. (laughs) So people who are familiar with it, call it that. That makes sense. It's a long name. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't create a Twitter that's called helping friendly podcast. Yeah. It was too long. I mean, I guess you could, but. Well, my partner, Brad, he came up with the the name and I think it's, it was a good name because it, you know, dips into the, the fish lore. But yeah, so, so I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, he's a fellow yeah. dad and an awesome, he's an awesome dad. So just give him a plug for being an awesome dad. There you go. Props to Brad. All right. Well, we will uh, wrap this one up and you guys can look out the next week or two weeks from this episode to hear more about the Helping Friendly podcast and how it can help you be more friendly? Not really. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> Not really. But it should. I mean, that it actually it should. It could in theory. Yeah. Give it a chance. Yeah. But it's, again, a big podcast that now has offshoots. I've kind of started dipping into that. There's others that have kind of started branching off from that. Is it from Brad or other people that are involved in it? Yeah, Jonathan, one of my co-hosts who got who came in, I think around episode, actually I have no idea when he came in, but it was early on, maybe 50 episodes in, he started a Grateful Dead podcast called Broke Down Pod. And then we have friends who we've kind of helped start podcasts, um, a couple others. So there are more and more that are part of this sort of family that are coming out all the time. So that's cool. Yeah. And Tom Marshall's podcast under the scales is part of that too. And he and I have 
collaborated on a bunch of stuff and um so yeah the 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 live music podcast world is is definitely growing yeah and and that is one of the things that i love about the podcast community is it is a fairly helpful group of people i mean i'm not saying that you can you know you can't call up mark Marin right now and ask him to (laughs) help you start a podcast he probably won't help you but (laughs) otherwise like i am always excited about communities that are like that that are very helpful and understanding of hey we're making this community better and that only helps all of us as well and uh, somebody helped me out so I'm going to in turn help you out as opposed to just kind of trying to hoard all the information for myself yeah. which does nobody any good yeah, exactly. so, no definitely it's definitely true Yeah. so alright well we will uh, part ways at this point and like I said everybody keep an eye out for that next episode okay and that is the first of these two episodes with rjb again you can find his podcast helping friendly podcast online and make sure you check that out so you can find my podcast information the website is daddyunscripted.com that's where you can find the companion piece to rj's episode with some photos and information that kind of bulk this up a little bit more for you visual people and you can find the podcast also on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, on Google Play as Daddy Unscripted. We are also on social media as Daddy Unscripted on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And you can see a lot of different things, some behind the scenes stuff and some information about coming guests and whatnot on there. So again, you can send me an email, daddyunscripted at gmail.com. Please give me more ideas for guests. This year has already been very fruitful with the people that I've been having on the show and shows that will be coming out soon. So I'm really excited about where this podcast is going. And you are all a huge part of that with your interaction with me and sending me different ideas for guests as well. So keep that coming. I I really do appreciate it. And as always, a very big and special thank you to Umphreys McGee and their management for making the partnership happen between my podcast and the band so that I am able to have their music all over this podcast and all over all the episodes. I love being able to do that with a band that I respect and love as much as I do. So huge thank you to you guys and check out Umphreys McGee at Umphreys.com. So keep your eye out. Uh, It will probably be one or two weeks before the second episode with RJ comes out where we talk a lot about podcasts and talk a lot about uh, music as well and how we both developed our musical interests and honed our ears to be professional listeners of music and appreciate all the things and the bands that we pay so much attention to. So keep an eye out for that. Thanks for listening, and we will be back with a new episode soon.